Hey, you guys, this is Melissa Ponzio, and you're listening to Not Another Teen Wolf Podcast. Not another one! <laughs> <laughs> And welcome to Not Another Teen Wolf Podcast, episode number 136. Today we will be talking about Teen Wolf Season 6, Episode 4, Relics. And I am once again joined by Natalie, and I'm Karen. <laughs> I did that a little <laughs> backwards. <laughs> I, I get it. I get it. It's fine. So good. You know, four years of doing this, you think we'd have it down pat yet, but we're still a hot No, mess. no, no. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah. If you'd like to get in contact with us, please hit us up on Twitter at NATW Podcast, which is also our Instagram account, as well as uh, our Gmail account and Facebook. Should keep remembering. We're getting there with Facebook. We're getting like, we have like 40 or so, like, you know, thrilling likes there. And I really do want to post some different stuff there to what else we have. So, uh, yeah, I don't know. Who likes engaging on Facebook? Let us know and we'll we'll attempt. I think we did get one message over there, actually, so I'll go and check that out uh, before the end of the episode. So, yeah. Very cool. And, of course, you can find us at notanotherteamwolfpodcast.com. So getting into this episode, we're going to start off with quotes. Uh Natalie, I love both of yours, so you go first. I was going to say you go first because I, my first one, the initial one, as soon as she said it, was uh, Melissa in the opening scene when she said, I found a low branch with my face when she's like, kind of <laughs> following Chris. Uh, oh, I just straight away, like I was like, that's it, we're done. The episode's over. It's it's <laughs> This is it. This is It's not getting better. Um, and... But I did pick another one from later, which was to do with Malia and Chris, but you've also picked one there. So why don't you talk well, about mine, that? Mine kind of follows yours, so you should go first. Uh, well, I picked the – see, I, I, the other one that really, really stood out was just the delivery and everything about it was when uh, Chris and Melissa were working on, um, you know, getting – fixing up Malia after they shot her, uh, she just kind of grumpily, like, pulls the bullet out, hands it to Chris, and is like, here's your bullet back. And it's just, oh, my God, she needs her own show. She's so good. It's so – this character and the actress, it's just – I can't believe how good she is. And it's so funny and she's so – I don't know. Everything about her is is just so well done, and I just found it hilarious. But yeah, her delivery and it, it, the way that she was speaking during that scene while they were cutting the bullet out of her and her like physical reactions is just so. She's so great, and there's not too many female characters like her. I think that are have her combination of roughness um, without being kind of delegated to not a real girl, if you know what I mean, as well. And, like, it's – 
I love her so much, Karen. I, I just love her so much. Me too. Me uh. too. My favorite line comes from her as well, and it's later when they're in the bunker and Chris is trying to convince Malia to be the babysitter for all the kids that are in the bunker. And he says something and she goes, okay, I'll stay. You've shut enough people for today. <laughs> she's so crazy. I mean, it's true, but she's so, it's so great. Uh, so great. Yeah, she's wonderful. But that kind of um, brings us into... The first point that I wanted to discuss, which was Melissa going out into the field, so to speak, going on the hunt. She joins Chris out in the woods, but she's not very good at being quiet. But this was great for a lot of different reasons. First of all, more Chris and Melissa, which we are still totally on board with. Macrissa. <laughs> no. Yes. We just not. Macrissa. <laughs> 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 but also Melissa gets to be super funny and she's so good at those powerful heartwarming moments in the show and I love when they use her for that but she is also hilarious in this scene and later on and I just love her delivery she I think she has some of the best delivery on the show especially when she's being funny I love the difference between her as a parent and her as a peer, if you know what I mean? Yes, like, yes. like the fact that they opened the episode on the two adults going out on their little, you know, hunting adventure was really, it felt really different to me. I'm tr I was trying to remember if we've ever actually, op we've opened the episodes on like bad guys and whatever. And I'm trying to think if we've ever opened the episode on the parents without the kids doing a hunt, if you know what I mean, doing a supernatural task. And I couldn't think of any because, I don't know, just and, and obviously the Melissa and Chris thing is new and it just, yeah, just the tone of it, I, I really loved it. And I think the difference between her as a peer, um, how she interacts with people where she doesn't have to have a, her, you know, mom hat on is, you know, really telling of who her personality actually is, you know, besides from being a great mom and I love it, so... Yeah. And the reason why she's out in the woods is because she's tired of seeing people she cares about wheeled into the hospital and reacting to the situations when they're already happening versus going out and being proactive about it. And I wonder if this is something they're going to carry out throughout this half of the season, maybe the whole season, if we're going to see Melissa taking a more active role. If so, I am totally on board with it. Anytime we get more Melissa, I'm happy. And I love her in the hospital. I love seeing her save people's lives and um, having that information that helps the team figure out what they need to do. But I loved seeing her out in the woods and like, yeah, she wasn't super good at it, but she she had her stun gun and she she felt pretty confident in that. Something about her humor and her tone and the kind of way that she was being told off really reminded me that she – that this is where Scott comes from, if you know what I mean. Yes. Like, not just like, oh, it's – you know, oh, yes, he's Scott, you know, she's Scott's mother, whatever, she cares about Scott. This is Scott. Like, this is similar to how Scott would act, yes. not now, but before, like, w when he was only just – you know, we, we didn't really know him before he became a werewolf because that happened in the pilot, but before that – moment and kind of the impression that we get of what when he's getting used to being a werewolf and when he's a kind of like a derpy teen I feel like his 
you know, they're definitely related here. So, yeah, I, I really enjoyed that. I didn't think about that, but I Do you love know what that I mean? so much. Yes, I know exactly what you yeah. mean, and I love it so much. So the two of them come upon a couple of dead bodies in the woods, although one of them wasn't quite dead, which was a little scary and disgusting. But yeah. um, I'm assuming that these are from Mr. Douglas, because that's who Chris is going after, yeah. given the head wounds and all that. But this is also where Malia comes in, and Chris wings her to uh, to stop her, to slow her down, to protect themselves. And at first I was like, dude, that is super dramatic. <laughs> and I was like, did you really just shoot her? But it did have a purpose because she was kind of going into coyote mode. And they did have to protect themselves. But yeah, it felt a bit dramatic to me at first. For like 12 seconds. I mean, I, I, at first I assumed it was the, uh, the, the tank wall. Mr. Douglas. And then when Malia was there, I'm like, hang on, is this meant to be, has she just freaking killed these people because she's like losing control of her coyote self without Kyle? Like, is she just like, and are they just going to like be like, okay, like, yeah, we'll help you, Malia. Like, you know, sorry that you killed these people. Um, But then it was very clear that that was not the case and her being there was kind of a semi-coincidence or whatever. Uh, But for a second, I legitimately thought they were trying to say that she killed these people and was very confused. That thought crossed my mind briefly, too. And I was like, no, that wouldn't wouldn't happen, would it? Unless something was, like, seriously wrong and then... We kind of figure out what happens, but yeah, I don't blame you for thinking that either. They definitely set it up like that at first. And Chris shooting her as well, I mean, it was really funny to me because it is dramatic, but it's also like, he's a hunter. This is how he grew up. Like, he knows how to use guns for everything. He probably uses a gun to open a can of beer. So um, so I felt like this was really, like, oh, you know, a logical solution for someone who's, like, trusted his use of a weapon, you know, trusted, like, um, all of – and just was that used to living that way. And so I kind of liked that as well, but, yeah. Yeah. Too bad he can't use his guns on the Ghost Riders. That mm. doesn't work. Speaking what if you of- shot one of them with their own gun? Ooh. The disappearing gun, you yeah. know. I wonder if if regular people can use their guns. Hmm. That's interesting. I hope that comes into play. That's pretty cool. <sighs> but we did learn more about the the Ghost Riders in this episode, and we did learn that they can ride the lightning. Like, literally... They ride the lightning. That's how they got into the McCall house. And actually, Will, who wrote the last episode, sent us an email about the difference between, oh my God. say, Iken House <laughs> and the McCall house. And I found this found this really interesting because... Are you going to read it out? No, I'm not going to read it out. But it was... Why not? Are we not allowed to? Will, tell us if we can read this out. I, I just don't have it open. And it was kind of long. And I figured it'd be shorter if I just paraphrased Whatever. (laughs) We didn't ask this, by the way. He just listened to the episode and then was like, now about your questions in the episode, here's the answer. And we're like, wow, okay, that happened. So It was really cool, though, because I hadn't thought about this before. I forgot Eichenhouse was also lined with Mountain Ash, but the difference is Mountain Ash is in every 
single brick of Eichen House versus the McCall House is just, it's just like the borders. It's just lined with it. They use it to cross off the entryways so that nobody can get in or out of the house if they don't want them to. So that's why the werewolves were affected by Eichen House, but they're not affected by the McCall House. And also probably It's not why... activated until they do the final seal across right. the doorway with, with the actual mountain ash. So most of the time it's like turned off. Yes. I yeah. guess. Yeah. And also why the ghost riders could breach the McCall house by riding in on the lightning. So I thought that was pretty interesting though. Thank mm-hmm. you, Will, for giving us some answers. They clearly thought in depth about this, yes. so yeah. you know. Which is nice. I mean Will I mean, does in general. Yeah, it is good. Uh but Beacon Hills has five times more lightning strikes per storm than the average. And I'm just like, why is this not on any given day or is this like just because yeah. of the ghost riders? Because of the ghost riders. Okay. Um, because of the wild hunt. And I'm like, why are meteorologists not flocking to Beacon Hills to study lightning and stuff? It would be really fun. Wow. If that That's happens. your priority. Yeah, obviously. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the priority of the kids is to watch the K-Index, which sort of monitors this activity. And as the K-Index rises, they know that the riders are on their way. So it's really cool that Mason... Brainiac that he is has kind of figured out a way to anticipate when the Ghost Riders come. Of course, it doesn't help them too much in this episode, but they do get ahead of it a little bit. Um, yeah, it's it's a little odd that they have that predictory measure i guess but sometimes when they sit there they talk about all of their science i'm just like wow they talk about homework a lot on this show i'm like you've lost me with this science like you're you're putting in some really scientific explanations here which makes sense but i don't think i'm keeping up with it a lot of the time like the actual like science behind their their theories so i I don't know i i get very confused by it sometimes i think it's so cool i think it's cool that they can scientifically explain or help explain things that are supernatural the way that supernatural Mm -hmm. beings affect the real world in a scientific way is really interesting but speaking of this scene and speaking of that in particular it really reminded me the dynamic between liam and mason here really reminded me of scott and styles from earlier seasons where scott was much less interested in school. He had a little mm. trouble keeping up with all of these kinds of things. The theories and styles was the one that kind of filtered that complex information and gave it to Scott in a way that he could understand. Mason was doing the same thing with Liam in this scene, and it was really nice to see that that dynamic again. Yeah, um, they're certainly leaning into that group's dynamic standing alone if you know what i mean which is i guess fair enough if they were expecting you know them to be the the new teen wolves but uh but yeah it was very noticeable in this episode definitely and i definitely want to talk about that again at the end because i definitely have some things to say about it but i'm into it i i think it's pretty cool and i like that they're 
separated, not in a way that puts a line between them, but just in a, this is my little group, this is your group, we can kind of split off and have our own tasks and come back together and, and work together on the bigger problem with our information that we gathered on our own. I think it's pretty nice. Basically, they really try to pr- prove to us, I think, like, you know, whether we like a character or not, you know, or whether we, you know, accept that this is the status quo of the show or not, generally comes down to the effort the show is putting in. Like, if the show sells it to you, you accept it, if you know what I mean. And they're trying really hard to sell it. So, yeah. Yeah. So, meanwhile, Lydia has her own mission. She's trying to prove that Styles did exist. She's trying to look for a relic. And this, they're thinking, might help get Styles back. So, initially, she goes to the sheriff. And he shares the story about how he goes out into the garage and some stuff had fallen over. He stubs his toe on a bat and he automatically yells out for Styles. I don't know why, but this scene affected me so much. I thought it was really sad, but like also amazing that there are still those memories of Styles in the back of his mind. Like, I don't know if they're coming out more now that they're questioning things or if it would have been like that altogether to begin with. But the fact that he still is holding on to some part of his son is amazing. I think it's also really, really telling that that's still in him. It gives me more of an impression that it's not the universe that they're changing. It's that it's like a brainwashing, if you know what I mean. They haven't actually removed styles. They've just taken him somewhere else. I mean, that that's a little contradictory, but it's not actually that they wiped him. It's that they are wiping perceptions as opposed to the real physicality. And yeah. I don't know if that's making sense, but I, I feel like that there's a lot there with the whole um, – uh, I was just looking at some some feedback to talk about at the end of the episode, but there was one um, thing that was mentioned which is very similar uh, to what I was going to say, um, which is an anonymous theory on Tumblr, and I'll just read it now because it's, it's exactly what I'm trying to say, which is, Stab said, crack theory, the ghost writers are not actually creating an alternate reality. They're messing with people's minds. This is why Stalinsky's grandfather isn't affected. Uh, Stiles' grandfather, the, the, you know, dementia patient. With many dementia patients, short-term memory is one of the first things to stop functioning. So the ghost writers provide the brain with new information, trying to overwrite the old existing code, so to speak. And Stalinsky's brain can't process the new information, hence he knows about Stiles and Claudia's death. This is what I think. So at the moment, I do, like, it's rather than changing objective fact, they are... I think that there's something about their presence that messes with the actual minds. And I think that was supposed to be evident from early on, because if you remember when Scott is thinking about how he first got bitten, the way that he got bitten and everything about that night, nothing changed except for the absence of styles. And when Scott questioned 
what actually happened in his memory. He couldn't come up with a reason why he was out there. He couldn't come up with a reason uh, for how he got out there. Nothing really made sense because they had taken Styles away. So I think from the very beginning, we're supposed to understand that, no, they're not changing the physical world. They're not changing this reality. They're, I like that um, that analogy, though, of like providing new information that overwrites the old information to convince them that everything is normal. And I think that can kind of also explain Claudia, um, which I want to talk about a bit mm. in, a, in a little bit. But um, something is definitely happening where they... They're not changing reality, but they're definitely adding some things to real life that kind of convinces you that everything is okay when it's really not. Yeah, and I, I just think that, that that's getting pretty pretty extreme with the, the Claudia situation, but we'll, we'll, yeah. we'll get there. <laughs> yeah, so Lydia goes to the sheriff's house to explore it, and Claudia knows. Claudia's like, you know, if you need anything, let me know. She walks away, and Lydia sees a man who <sighs> says, you didn't see it, do did you? And she says, see what? And he says, it's right in front of your face. This sounds like he's talking about something other than the wall. Because... Her. Her. I think it's Cla- Claudia. Oh. Or maybe she walked past the Jeep and didn't notice at some point. Maybe, do we see a shot of maybe the Jeep in the bar- background of her driving somewhere? But maybe. I kind of... At this point, I think she mean, they might mean Claudia. That's... Yeah, that's fair. And... It's the way that he says that you didn't see it, did you, versus, like, you don't see it, it's right in front of your face. He's talking, like, in past tense, like, we've already seen something that maybe we didn't pick up yeah. on. Which is pretty cool. Be cool to watch in hindsight, knowing... See if there is something, sense. like, a, a, yeah, in the background that we didn't... Yeah. Yeah. But then, um, this is also the first time that one of her visions has felt like it's talking directly to Lydia in a more active way. We saw the old lady talk to her, but it was just sort of this dazed look on her face, and she passively sort of gives this message, whereas this guy was kind of angry, and it felt like he was talking directly to Lydia. So clearly these visions are becoming more and more real and more active is the only way that I can put it, which is going to be interesting. I wonder how it's going to continue to escalate. Mm. But this is also the part where she starts peeling the wallpaper from the wall, and like I've said before, I'm pretty sure that Styles' room is on the other side. Uh, but Claudia stops her, and not only does she stop her, she grabs her arm and hurts Lydia and yells at her and kicks her out of the house. She is very defensive of what Lydia Yeah. And I mean, if she knew that Lydia was there to do her thing, then why? I mean, yes, yes, she's being a little destructive with the wallpaper. But if she and Sheriff are aware of Lydia's deal and they knew that she was there doing her mystery thing, why would they kind of stop her in her tracks, you know? Yeah. Is it because Claudia is freaking evil? Because she is. Yes. That is exactly it. It's gotta be at this point. I mean, she's the only person who is actively stepping in the way of 
them finding out what is going on. Everyone else is sort of like, yeah, you've got a point. Like, maybe they don't really want to believe it, or maybe they've got other priorities, but Claudia is being a problem, and I think that is very telling. Yeah, um, I mean, we suspected right from the start that it was a bit dodgy, Mm -hmm. Uh, and it really seems like it's falling, that she is not just incidental result of that she is a plant she is not normal not real claudia everyone else thinks that she is and maybe natalie martin did really know the real claudia since high school but this is not her this is like one day they get a turnaround and she looks all slimy and gross because they're just seeing uh you know they're seeing claudia when she's actually some sort of you know, imposter monster or, I don't know, something. Um, Again, there was another ask that's really, really relevant to her um, here, which I'll just read again, an anonymous one, which is just something to make some theories about, hence not saving it till the end of the episode. Uh, Another question that we got or another piece of commentary was, uh, since Claudia was also suffering from dementia, as we learnt in Season 3B, she might know or remember more than she reveals. Um, this is to do with what, what you know, um, they find out at the hospital, which we'll talk about in a moment. Um, or she's an enabler, a character placed by the ghostwriters to make sure that people ex- will accept this new reality without Styles. Or since she and Sheriff never had any children, her bearing Styles was one of those quote-unquote dark bargain things, like, I just want a child, I'll do anything. Since it's Beacon Hills, somebody or something might have answered her, please. Uh, I don't know, these theories, like, I'm still pretty strong about the enabler character uh, mm-hmm. placed by the Ghost Riders, that she is either actually evil or sort of mindlessly wired to be keeping the reality in place, if you know what I mean. However, if it is the one where she, if she did have dementia and was cured, Maybe she does know or remember Styles and doesn't want to tell anyone else because, I don't know, they'll be too sad, question mark. Like, if she does, or if she doesn't trust her own mind, like, the dementia is, like, a sore spot that she, like, doesn't know what to think about. So, I don't know. I still think she's evil. Yeah, same. <laughs> Definitely same. Yeah. Um, that really good theories though, like thinking outside the box. I don't know how much I necessarily believe in them because I am so convinced that she is a plant, but I like the idea, like, who knows what happened before we entered this show with Scott and with Siles and everything, and if Claudia had ever done anything beforehand and all of that. It's, it's a lot to think about, and I like that. I like the different, uh, possibilities. But let's talk about uh, the kids going into the Argent's bunker. Uh, This was great. The kids go underground so the riders can't ride the lightning and get past the mountain ash. And I, I like this part for a lot of different reasons, but before we get into that, I just want to know what you think about the idea that all these kids are going into the Argent Bunker. They're convinced that it's just, like, a madman with a gun after them, <laughs> things are fishy, and the Argents have all of these weapons and weird technologies 
down in the bunker. These kids have to be like, look, something else is going on here. I like the phrasing of the the initial question that you've put here, which was, what kind of person has a bunker in a talent <laughs> and a question mark? And I want to know if you did that for my benefit or not. What do you mean? The main base of the Winchesters in Supernatural is an underground bunker called The Bunker, like, or it was the Men of Letters Bunker. So it's I much did, nicer than this one. I did know that, but never crossed my mind. That so was... the question to what kind of person has a bunker is Winchesters. But, um... <laughs> Unintentional we... supernatural... Uh, Have we? I thought you were making fun of me. I wasn't. Um, <laughs> uh, have we seen this place before? Yes. I mean, we've seen the place with the pipes, but we did we know it was? I thought that was just some freaking tunnels. Like I did not know. Yeah, actually, now that you point that out, I didn't realize that it was in those those same tunnels. Although that's probably just for the sake of the sets. Like it's yeah. easier to to have it be in the same did place. They, but they just find that place and then decide to like keep it i don't know like you know yeah the person's like yeah this is probably mine now like i don't know it's really the bunker um the underground lair i mean because we've they had their garage which was full of like you know stuff yeah i'm trying to think we've ever this is the same place where Allison was making her arrowheads, wasn't it? Yeah, that's what I thought, but I kind of thought that was their garage. Is this, like, under their house? Like, is this meant to be... I don't know about under their house. <sighs> Does Chris still live in that massive house on his own? Didn't he move to an apartment with Allison? He did, yeah. Yeah. So who knows? Uh, well, one day we'll... watch. in the woods now. Oh, my God. <laughs> Maybe he lives in Melissa's bed. Oh, <laughs> um, sorry, sorry, sorry about that. Um, but hey, speaking of Chris and J.R. Bourne's chemistry, um, uh, I loved him with Malia, and this is non-romantic. Just to throw yeah. that out there ahead of that ahead of time, but. The way that they were talking to each other, I actually got such a father-daughter kind mm-hmm. of vibe from it, and I really loved it. Like, I know Malia has a good relationship with her father, but, like, you know, the the other dude, not Peter. <laughs> yeah, um, Mr. Tate. Mr. Bear Tate. Da- bear trap dad. Yes, I was trying to think of what we called him, and I couldn't re- I was like, does he even man. know? Does he even know that she's supernatural or is he does she does he go home and is like wow my daughter goes out a lot question mark like you know I remember the assumption he doesn't know but yeah, poor guy yeah but anyway i really liked the way that chris talked to malia he tells her this story about kate actually which was also cool to have like a throwback tie-in kind of thing and says he yeah i didn't see that coming like when he started the when he started the sentence and and then when he said it wasn't a werewolf, I, I knew it was going to be Kate. But before that, I was like, wow, okay, yeah, Kate. Yeah. yeah. Um, but he says he recognized the bloodlust in Kate and never said anything. And if he had said something, maybe she wouldn't be the monster that she is today. 
and he's saying something now to Malia, and he wants to help Malia now because he doesn't want her to turn into a monster. And I, I just love that because Chris and Malia, like, aren't necessarily close. They've been around each other before, but they haven't really had any bonding moments. But this felt so strong and so genuine. Like, Chris genuinely wants to help her get her bloodlust under control. And it's obvious that Malia doesn't particularly like that side of her either. Like, she wants to be helpful, but it is difficult. And it was just... It was a great moment, and I'm I'm really glad we got to see that. I'm worried that they won't have this when stuff's back to normal. If they can bring Styles back, I don't necessarily think anything would change, though. I think it would fill. Would they remember gaps. all of this period? Or I like... do. I mean, it doesn't make this any less real. And if they bring him back, it's not like they're going to go back in time and then. Like, he just never left and they continue on with their lives. I think they'll remember everything that happens now. It's just once he comes back, the holes that they have in their memories right now will be full. I don't know. But, like, I feel like, for example, right now, like, Sheriff doesn't feel anything about Melissa, like, particularly, you know, and, that you know, would it, because he's doesn't remember feeling like that or about her or whatever. He? So we think not seen them together yet. He, uh, they might have feelings for each other. But it also feels like that, you know, Chris and Melissa have developed, like, a long-term relationship. Yeah. Not, you know, not romantic yet. But it feels like that they have had a past, because of the difference in reality, that they have had a past and therefore have a feelings or dynamic with each other that do- did not exist in the real world or maybe they have had that we just haven't seen it maybe since allison died and maybe they have all been like parent hangout groups or something (laughs) like that you know like maybe they are that close but i uh i'm just worried about that you know like yeah that's that's a really fair point but i think with that situation in particular like that's different because something else is going on there with claudia yeah whereas everything else i think is normal fine i think you know hopefully once styles comes back chris and malia you know they'll remember Uh, that talk that they had and maybe continue to like he'll continue chris loves him some hails he loves (laughs) some hail children it's can't he just adopt them all like it'll be great that would be amazing i mean she has a dad she's already adopted but like can't he be their like supernatural dad Yes. Huh. Yes. Yes, please. I would be into that. Anyway. Um, okay, so Nathan. This new kid, Nathan. Super mm. annoying. I thought I, I was going it. to like him at first, but now I just kind of hate him. <laughs> I like the fact that, like, this is the guy that Malia was hooking up with in the past, presumably. Mm-hmm. Um, she has no good feelings towards him she's just like Ugh, about him the whole time and like it's you know there's no like oh nathan can you do this she's clearly so annoyed by him as well yeah. so that's also hilarious but yeah i don't know i just i don't i mean i get it because the kid is scared but Everyone else, Malia, Chris, they're so confident in the fact that, like, if you guys just stay underground, we're going to be totally fine. And then he just has to go and mess everything up. 
what would make someone not trust that if you know what i mean like you know do you think he just literally does not believe in supernatural because they did convince him by being like there's a guy with a gun and he's coming back to shoot you in the head and i loved mason like sort of being like look guys shut up no one's gonna get it we're just gonna say this (laughs) and why would someone then be like screw this i'm just gonna take it into my own hands like what would make you not believe that Fear. When you'd already seen the drama Fear go down. Fear makes you illogical and irrational. So mm. I get it. I I mean, and it does kind of feel like they're trapped in this room. And if somebody with a gun comes, they're all dead. They don't understand the supernatural element, the logic to the fact that they're not going to be able to get in in the first place. So to them, they feel trapped, and I think that's why Nathan decides to run, because if he's outside, if he can go hide in the woods, then some dude with a gun isn't going to find him. I mean, okay, Nathan, I guess. Mm, I don't know. Like, do you think in this situation you would trust that, um, you would trust that you could you were being told the right thing or do you think you'd be like, no, I can't deal with this. I'm just taking it into my own hands. I would trust Chris to be completely honest. He has that quality about him, that reassurance, that leader kind of air. Whereas like he's toting around a gun and he's like, I'm going to protect you. I'd be like, okay, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever you <fair>. say. <laughs> I think that's valid. I don't know. <laughs> But, Maybe yeah. some people are just that arrogant. Like, he's clearly, like, you know, because he was so hung up about the stupid lacrosse. Like, ah, yeah. this is just a ploy to get Captain off me. Like, right? okay, <laughs> calm down. Like, no one cares that much about lacrosse except for these guys. But, yeah. I mean, <laughs> yeah. the Beacon Hills team cares very much about lacrosse, though. And that kind of segues into the next mm-hmm. section because Corey – Liam and Scott go play the game because Gwen has snuck out. The other lacrosse players have snuck out. They're all planning to play the game. And they're like, okay, if we can't convince them to go to the bunker, then we'll just play the game with them and we'll protect them on the field. As things start to pick up, the wild hunt begins affecting everyone and have we necessarily seen this before? Because it seems like it just basically makes everyone Hulk out. No, not really. Um, this is certainly more of a, a mass panic than, or like, a, I, I don't think that we've seen seen that. We've only seen pretty private, you know, experiences mm-hmm. with the Wild Hunt. The way that they were like, play the game with Scott. I'm sorry. I just died. I'm like, they're literally playing lacrosse to play people's lives. Like on paper, like this sounds ridiculous. Uh, Like the fact that, Oh my God, they're playing the lacrosse game in order to save everyone. Like, like, you know, Oh, it's so like, I'm trying to think of like a way to describe it, but like that whole, you know, like, Oh, little so-and-so had to win the County fair competition yeah. to save the town you know like it's like that that's kind of how i felt about about them playing the lacrosse game um like the the whole like the stakes of them playing this lacrosse game but they are you know they are real stakes you know and it is a, a logical way i guess to to help it's just uh 
they got to get lacrosse back in at, at every opportunity, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs> but unfortunately, it doesn't work. Everyone is taken. Everyone from the party that we, I'm pretty sure, I think the assumption is everyone from the party was taken. Those that were watching lacrosse game, those that were playing lacrosse, and those in the bunker. Everybody is taken, including Gwen, who wanted to be taken, um, presumably to be reunited with her sister. Except the only ones that weren't taken were the pack members. And at first I was like, oh, that's because they saw the Ghost Riders after these people, and so therefore, like, their turn isn't up yet. Except no, Liam, Hayden, Mason, and Corey all, all saw the Ghost Riders when everybody else did. So why weren't they also taken? Maybe it doesn't work on supernaturals. But, but I guess we may. Taken. Peter's a supernatural. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, your point. Yes, I'm not arguing with you there. Uh, I don't know. Maybe just give them time. Maybe, you know, maybe they can choose their targets and they know, like, you know, they go for people when they're alone and vulnerable and they know that the pack is too too powerful. Yeah, that was my main theory, was that they're putting up too much of a fight for it to be worth the effort right now. I think the Ghost Riders... The Ghost Riders are powerful, but, like, why not make their job easier, you know? If they can't take Mm -hmm. the pack now, then they'll wait to isolate them and take them each later. Yeah. But why are they taking people, Karen? What purpose does this serve? That is an excellent question, to which I have no answer. <laughs> mm, great. But Thanks. We'll, we'll find out soon. Mm. Uh, we did learn something else new about the Ghost Riders, kind of, in this episode, in that Mason realizes Parrish could be the key to fighting the Riders, which, like, this part kind of bothered me a little bit because, like, it was so obvious in the last episode that Parrish was the one that stopped them that I was kind of hoping Mason would pick up on that a little bit sooner, but <laughs> whatever. Yeah. At that point, they had to kind of spell it out, and that's that's fair. But Parrish goes up against one of the Ghost Riders, and he's shot, okay? So he's in Hellhound form, and he gets shot by one of the magic bullets, He's not taken, he doesn't poof away in, you know, green light and smoke, but the fire around him goes out and it kind of, like, takes him out of his hellhound form. So, was he just stunned? Is this a way to stun a hellhound, or has he lost his powers? I don't know. If they came from the same mythology, you know, it does kind of lay out that, like, if if the ghost riders of them are the masters of the hunt and these are meant to be the, you know, the dogs of the hunt, then it could, you know, could play out that they have a way to control parish, you know, like whether that's mentally or whether that's like down boy kind of, you know, yeah. like, no, you're, you're, you're being good now. You're not, you're not going against us. You're not using your powers. But the fact that they're from the same mythology might mean that like they are more, they're aware of what he's capable of. So therefore, are initially, you know, intimidated. Yeah, definitely. And I don't think he's lost his powers just because that seems a bit dramatic, but the fact that, yeah, maybe he can affect the Ghost Riders, but the Ghost Riders can also affect him is a good twist in the Mm. story because I think it makes things just that much more complicated. Mm. But we'll have to see what happens. 
who knows? But regardless of that, Scott, Malia, and Chris have all also now seen the Ghost Riders. So more and more people are being exposed to... Is this because they were brought into reality by Corey, or is this just because they're being seen now? Like, marked? I don't... Well, Corey only ever touched that one Ghost Rider. And yeah. I don't... Not everybody could see the Ghost Riders, because we saw only a few people stand up in the bleachers during the lacrosse game, so it's not like mm. everybody saw these terrifying men riding in on horses. I think maybe because they saw somebody disappear and the Ghost Riders were going after the people that had already saw them, for some reason they allowed themselves to be seen by these other people because maybe they're aware of the Ghost Riders. They know that they're there and that kind of bridges that gap a little bit. I don't know. I really don't. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like that... I, I feel more surprised that it's not causing some sort of mass hysteria. Like, if not everyone could see what did they think was going on, like, while watching that all go down. And and if they did see, then what do they think is going on, you know? Like, we, we keep getting to this point where, like, how many people know about the supernatural in Beacon Hills that, you know, Scott's werewolfness was covered up and whatever. So right. I am, I don't know if this is going to. I think it's important to remember too, that even if they saw something in the moment, they're going to forget soon after, because that's what happened with Mason and Corey. When they saw that one kid taken Jake Sullivan from the library they immediately forgot about it afterward. That's true, yeah, I suppose that's true. But are Scott, etc. going to forget? Are they just having to tell themselves to remember about the Ghost Riders existing constantly? Like, is this like, did you ever watch the season of Doctor Who with the silence where they had to, like, they they saw them and they remembered, they looked away, they didn't, but they were, like, riding on themselves to remember, like, that they'd seen yeah. them, if you know what I mean? Like, is, is it like that? Like, or do they just remember the Ghost Riders conceptually from point to point? I think it might be one of those situations where the more that they're exposed to the Ghost Riders and they haven't been taken, the more they're actually going to remember. And I think it'll be interesting to see if they remember Gwen specifically or if they'll also forget that, but I feel like now that they're so tied up in the situation that they've been exposed, that they're actively working toward figuring out what is going on here, they're going to forget less. Huh. Yeah. I don't know. Hmm. But jumping to another very interesting part of the episode, uh... First of all, we see Mrs. Martin and Lydia having a conversation about Claudia. And at first, Mrs. Martin is like, look, I've known Claudia since high school. Like, she's fine. Why are you looking into this? What's your problem? But then she tells Lydia she'll be her unbiased perspective. And she wants Lydia to tell her everything she knows. And then she will say, say okay, you've got a point. Or like, no, you're totally off base here. So one... Oh my god, Mrs. Martin is actually taking an active interest 
in what is going on in this situation. She's listening to her daughter, and she's actually trying to help. I was so excited. Yeah, it was. It was a real change for her. But again, it also really felt like this is where Lydia comes from. This kind of logic, this kind of behavior, this is what this is what made Lydia. So I, I kind of really love the way that they sat down and related to each other there, like the level in which they engage with each other. Um yeah, it's very adult. Like yeah. yes, yes, Mrs. Martin acts as her mother, but sometimes the way that she talks to Lydia, she expects a lot from Lydia. She expects Lydia to be an adult and to be responsible because she knows Lydia can be. Mm. And I like that relationship aspect. Mm. But Lydia actually does manage to convince her mom that something is up. And so they go to the hospital and they look at Claudia's records. It says that she had no children, she had no pregnancies, but the frontotemporal dementia is still on record. And that is a huge red flag and something that Melissa brings up. Yeah, she's kind of like, she should be dead. So mm -hmm. it's clearly, I don't know, something. It's interesting that they can change things directly related to styles for example, they said that Claudia had no children, there were no pregnancies, but they can't change something about that person that is unrelated to the child, like the fact that she had dementia. Yeah, I really don't know what this is meant to mean. It's very, very stressful. Um, you know, I, I love that Lydia did, you know, we don't know what exactly she said, but she clearly said enough to, you know, make uh, Natalie realize that it was not the confirmation bias that she she suspected um, enough to go looking and yeah, but the frontotemporal dementia, um, I didn't really think about it in in terms of that. Like they can affect the existence of styles, including from the medical records and stuff like that. But they can't with Claudia. Like I don't know, are they like bringing her back? But like. Is it her? And is she just this much of a bitch? I don't know. Like, I can't, like, can't imagine that. But no, I, can't I don't know. Imagine. Like, you know, you know, if because if it wasn't her, why wouldn't the information about her be like perfectly tailored to their needs? If you know what I mean. I imagine that it's a mirage that they <sighs> they bring back this image, this sense of Claudia, and that it's her but it's her to their own end like hmm. they're definitely adjusting something because no I don't believe that Claudia was that much of a bitch when she was alive um <laughs> and so yes maybe parts of her personality are real the way she looks is real it's reflective of who she was before but she's also there for a reason and knowing that objective is going to change the way that she acts so the Ghost Riders or maybe whoever's behind the Ghost Riders are definitely pulling her strings and making her actively stop Lydia and the others from discovering the truth. I don't know. It's just very horrible. <laughs> it is a bit much. But, I mean, mm. at least they have a clue now. At least they have that red flag. And I think that's 
going to help propel them forward. So that's exciting. Mm. Getting to the final moments of the episode, there were a couple of random points that I wanted to discuss quickly. First of all, we can't let it go. I hope everybody saw Melissa and Chris holding hands when they were in the hospital. Uh, that was very interesting, but also very confusing going back to like why they have such a connection. Is it because Claudia is there or is it because it's kind of been there maybe off screen for a while? I don't care. Either way, I am a rampant Macrissa shipper. And even if everything goes back to normal and fake Claudia gets shuffled off, I don't want Sheriff and Melissa I've, I, anymore. I was like, I was always kind of like, oh, they're nice, I guess. But it never felt that charged. This is on freaking fire. And I want, I now want this, like, as like to be real like and i don't care about sheriff and melissa more than their you know bond over scotland styles so they were always down (laughs) they were always very close and worked really well together um and i understand like you know why i guess people would ship them when they were you know like they had all of this stuff but there was never any moments that felt charged in any way in my opinion and this is just like every second is like freaking Sparks flying and really intense and and I I, I need it. <laughs> so this is this is what I want now. I I want Macrissa to become real. That is very interesting. I will say I also really like them. I was it completely caught me off guard, but like I see it. Like I'm not blind. I see it. It is there. I think you're absolutely right that it that it is fire compared to this slow sort of smoldering thing that Melissa and the sheriff always had going. I'm still rooting for Melissa and the sheriff because it's been so long and I just like the comfort that they have in each other. I think the fire is awesome, but I just really want to see Melissa and the sheriff together still. Here's here's my thing as well. First of all, I'm curious as to what uh, Melissa and Lyndon, like Melissa Ponzio and Lyndon and Jr. think about what's going on. You know, because it's been a thing at you know conventions and all of that kind of stuff uh, that Melissa and Jr. very much are you know like making jokes about the crush and that they believe kind of believe that off screen, even though I don't think there's been that much on screen to indicate it. Um, but you also have the vivid difference between the two and, and some people might say one of one option is a, a plus and one, some people might say the other option is a plus where, you know, uh, Melissa and, uh, the sheriff, I guess we can call him Noah now. I don't know if I feel quite comfortable oh, with yeah. that, but I don't know. You know, Melissa and Noah have known each other since before their current positions in life. They've yes. known each other since... They both knew each other when they were married, you know, to the other partner. They saw the problems with the other partner, the illness and the abuse and all of that kind of stuff. And for me personally, that would be a really hard thing to come to be romantic with someone about. Like, because you, like, I'd know all, not, not, not like, oh, you're tarnished or anything like that, but like just that, that because of, because that relationship would have never entered their heads when they were you know, married, uh, that it it would be really hard to get to a point where, like, oh, yeah, okay, we remember when we were in love with other people who the other one of us knew, but now we're together. 
that happens in life. It does. That happens all the time. Like my father actually had that happen with his parents. His father's parents were married very young. They were in, uh, they came to, uh, they were refugees from the Second World War and they lived together in a house with another refugee family. And the my father's parents split up, the other family's parents split up, and the my dad's dad and his, well, now stepsister's mother, like the ones left in the house with the kids, uh, got together and then were married for like 50 years. So it does happen. Um, and But Chris and Melissa only know the people they are today, if you know what I mean. They, knew, they know each other after the existence of the supernatural. They know each other after they're both single. Um, and, you know, especially the closeness because Chris didn't really come into the fold as an ally, you know, until well after, uh, you know, the death of his wife. And so they know the person each other is today as a fresh start, as something where it can be a new relationship without baggage of the, you know, the past. And, like, both of those options in different eyes could be seen as, better than the other if you know what I mean yeah I was gonna say there's also a comfort in knowing a person's past having seen it having known what they've gone through and being able to go to the other person and be like hey you remember when this happened like 20 years ago well this is how it's kind of come back today yeah and they can reassure that person because they remember that event too or mm. you know just that honesty and that they don't have anything to hide because the person already knows so much about them um is also very good but like yeah i mean i see the other side of it too and it's it's hard because i i because... like everything yeah, it's sometimes as well, like sometimes people, when they know that they've changed, it's hard to be related to in the same way, like, oh, you're you're still thinking of me in this way, but I'm not that anymore, if right. you know what I mean. And so yeah. having someone who only knows you from your current stage of life can be good as well. But uh, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a tough one. It is. I, really I, 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 I really like the vibe with Chris and I. I just don't know how that's gonna like do you think like if styles comes back and then she suddenly remembers like i don't know that she also had feelings for the sheriff if she did like again i i I never think it was as heavily implied with the sheriff i think they are implying this extremely heavily and while i understand why people are like ship the hair and the sheriff i don't think that it was textual i don't even think it was particularly subtextual i could not remember any moments that were like oh a vibe just happened between them it was more that they were so comfortable and so supportive as friends that people were like they should be in love can you remember any moments between them that actually had the overt charge that this is meant to have now that you're saying that I definitely have picked up on vibes, but the the overtness of it, no, it's always been sort of passive in a way that, like, yes, we like each other, but maybe that's a little bit too complicated to jump into right now. And yeah. so I think subtext was there, but this is definitely text <laughs> Yeah, between Chris and Melissa. But yeah, I mean, I don't know what's going to happen when Styles comes back. It's going to be very interesting because I don't want anybody to be hurt. You know, if it's just like if they both jump away from each other, like, ew, gross, that's not yeah. what we are. You know, like, 
You will be heartbroken, won't you? I will. I will. I will. I don't know. What's weirder? Your your mother marrying your best friend's father or your mother marrying your dead girlfriend's father? I would say probably the dead girlfriend's father. Uh, maybe. If, I don't know. if your mother marries your best friend's father, like, your best friend's your brother now. Like, that's so cool. I suppose. Yeah. I don't know, man. Um, hmm. <laughs> but yeah. let's continue on with um, the fact that Scott and Malia very logically want to focus on the Ghost Riders and don't necessarily want to focus on the fact that they're trying to find Styles, a person that they don't necessarily know exists. That was really hard. Yeah, I was. To I was hear really that coming from Malia, and to see Scott agree because you're like, no, if you guys only knew, you would be focusing on Styles a hundred percent. You would be like, well, let's deal with these Ghost Riders later. No, I agree, but they're tied together. I agree that yeah. they should be. You know that that other people are right there getting in trouble, and that that needs you know does have to take precedent, and. Logically, if Styles is suffered the same fate, of, that solving the problem of the Ghost Riders will also solve the Styles problem. However, given the fact that they're like, oh, you know, looking for someone we don't even know, you know, exists, the fact that they do know for a fact that this is happening, that people are existing and then being taken. I don't like their skepticism about whether Styles exists or not, if you know what I mean, because they know for a fact that this is a process that is happening. They just, because it happened to them, don't have the proof of the before. Like, you know, um, Gwen and her sister being, you know, being like, I had a sister. Why does no one remember? You know, et cetera. Like there isn't as cut and dried proof of that with Styles, or not proof, but like claims. Uh, They don't remember it at, as strongly as some people are remembering their, you know, their people that they've lost. Uh, so I don't understand why they're being sceptical about it. I also don't understand why the two problems are meant to be separate from each other. Right. Yeah, I think maybe it, I completely understand what you're saying and I completely agree with you. I think thinking about it, particularly from Malia's point of view, where she tends to be very cut and dry, after the battle that they just had and all the losses they just suffered, I think she just wants to focus on the Ghost Riders. And I think even logically she understands that the two situations are related, but right now they're getting punched left and right and there's no break. And so she wants to fight. I think that is just very much in her nature. Whereas Lydia, who doesn't want to give up on looking for styles, is very intellectual and analytical. And she's trying to attack this problem in the hopes that she can find a way that will help her defeat the Ghost Riders or help bring other people back as well. So yes, they are related, but I think they're just approaching the situation from two completely different points of view. Yeah. I don't know. And then, yeah, Lydia's so, you know, so hung up emotionally on on Styles, which is pretty extreme, I suppose, especially compared to Scott. 
uh, like she's the one kind of ready to burn the world down for the the concept of styles. So that's fun. That's a fun thing to to think about. Yeah, and unfortunately, you know, there is proof that styles exists. His relic is Roscoe the Jeep, but they don't realize it yet. And we don't see it until the end of the episode, but it is there if only they would look for it. And I have a feeling maybe it'll go back to Lydia because she re-experienced the night that he was taken. And if she can do that again and sort of find herself in front of the Jeep, that'll really kind of kick this into high gear. Yeah, so we got to get Lydia in, in the room with that Jeep or the parking lot, yes. whatever. Uh, but the fact that they all walk past it, I'm like, ah! Uh, so maybe that was that there was just the thing that the person was referring to earlier in the episode that she went past, and I don't know, but maybe. Oh, uh, was it even where was it parked? Was it in the school? Like, how did it get there? Is that yes. where it was taken originally? Is it yes. still in the same place? Yeah. And it was, no one's it was... noticed this shitty car, like, just nope. stuck there. <laughs> I guess it's just, you know, not a top priority. But, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't I don't know. I, I can't explain why it hasn't been, like, towed or anything yet. But also, I think it's only been, like, a couple of days. So um, if, I'm sure nobody has really picked up on it yet. If this is the relic, I feel – I mean, it is. But, but also the baseball bat, like, you know, that exists. True. You know, like, yeah. yeah. But – I feel 1,000% sure that it will be the name discovery will be them, like, looking through the glove box and seeing the rego of the car. I think that's what it's going to be. Mm. Like, that, that the, uh, you know, the paperwork and, and stuff will, they'll be like, it'll be like a shot of, like, you know, whatever, Stalinsky, and they'll be like, this is, this is it, you know, like, um, and... I think it's going to be really understated and for them it will be really understated as well because they, you know, they're like, oh, that's, that's his name. Like, you know, like, I guess like, you know, they, they won't realize the significance of us finding out his name, yeah. obviously, because they're in the show. Uh, but I think it'll be really understated and yeah, I think it'll be when they're, when they're looking at the car and, and, you know, cause at some point they've got to discover who the car belongs to. They're not just going to be like, Oh, Oh, this is Styles's car because I say so. There's going to be proof in the car that it was him, just like there was, you know, the kid's uh, library card had his name in it. Yes. So they, that car is going to be registered to him, and we will see his name there. That is my prediction. Yes. That would be pretty amazing, and I'm definitely on board. And this kind of is related to this whole, like, Teen Wolf the Next Generation thing, because we see them walking through the parking lot. Liam has become team captain, which is hilarious. And, yeah, like, why? So like, cold. why did that happen? I don't really... Because I he still... stayed on the field. He didn't give up. Everyone else ran away. But he stayed there. Lacrosse is important to him, so Liam's <laughs> team captain now. Um, and Liam also wants to catch Ghost Rider, and he tells this to Corey, Mason, and Hayden, who are on board. They trust in him. He is their leader now, and I think that this is... Odd. I mean, it really, it truly is Team Wolf the Next Generation, because as the seniors go off, this is the pack that's going to be left to defend Beacon Hills, 
And I don't think Scott's going to be gone forever. I don't think everybody's going to be gone forever, but they're going to be the ones in the trenches the whole time. And the fact that they believe in their leader so much and that Liam is confident enough to be a leader and to have an idea and put it into action is really cool. I mean, I think he should maybe tell Scott and get Scott to help him a little bit because Yeah, I feel like him making choices has not gone that well so far. Yeah. So I'm and everyone's just like, yeah, sure, why not? I don't know, man. Okay. I, 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 In this episode, Scott did admit that maybe they should have gone with Liam's plan to use the lightning rod to yeah, He said we should have done both, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So, I don't know. We'll see what happens. I hope it works out for Liam because I really want him to be a successful leader, obviously, because we know that's going to happen eventually. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got one piece of feedback here, and this is from Twitter at JDBoy2000, who says, At the end of episode four, it felt like the OG four again. If Liam is Scott, Hayden is Allison, and Mason is Styles, is Corey Lydia? And I kind of laughed at this at first, but I'm like, no, actually he kind of is, because he has a power that they don't necessarily understand the mechanics of yet, just like Lydia with her Banshee powers. So, like, yeah, I'm totally calling it. Corey's Lydia. I guess, sure. Um, I never really think that, like, those kind of assignments of, like, this is this, this is this, is as cut and dried as, no, you know. No, definitely not. But I think that. there are parallels. Yeah, yeah, for that's sure. That's interesting. I have some more feedback from various sources. As I mentioned, we did get a message on Facebook. Um, from Chris Galt. So he actually chose to leave a comment on our Facebook page, which is awesome. Uh, the more people do that, the more I will go over there and actually post things. Uh, like we were saying, Karen, the, uh, that they're doing that call out for photographs. And I think that we should make a photo album on there if, if everyone wants to send in our photographs from the events that we've been to. Yeah. So, uh, Chris Galt on Facebook, um, on the NATWP Facebook hub has said, um, Yes, I feel vindicated being a Corey supporter this whole time. Not everyone can be a mega hero. More humans are like Corey than Scott. Michael Johnston really shined in tonight's episode. That was two uh, in relation to when he, you know, had the um, that moment of, of discovering Ghost Riders, uh, the vision. Um, what is the deal with Styles' locker? They zoomed in specifically to the locker number twice in the episode. Don't want to be spoilery, so I'll keep my other comments to myself. <laughs> well, uh, I'm not sure about the locker um number situation but that yeah the comment about Corey, uh, are, are you liking him more or are you you know do you feel like they're doing doing enough there uh with, with the character i love Corey now like oh I'm wow so on board i think he's great <laughs> i think he's trying i think that he still struggles with a lot of the things that he was struggling with before but <laughs> He's, you know, putting forth the effort and he's being useful. And that was our basically our only complaint before was he was so useless and forgettable. And now he's actually a major puzzle piece in this thing. And I love it. It's interesting. Last night, totally unrelated to Teen Wolf in any way, uh, my father asked me in, in a rather heated conversation, what does it take for you to like someone? The answer is quite a lot, uh, <laughs> honestly. Like, it, 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 it's a, a lot. So uh, I don't know how I feel about Corey at the moment. We'll see. But who, who have I come around to liking on, on this show? Isaac. I hated him. I freaking oh, hated yeah. Isaac. And now I, like, 
I need him always. So you we'll just see. Need to, to put Corey in a couple in of a scarves, scarf. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Uh, yeah. So it, it, you know, it's possible, but it does take me a long time. If I have some issue with someone's moral compass, I it takes me a long time to get over that. But I, I see what they're doing. It's it's fine. It's I'm fine. glad I passed the test. Um. <laughs> Well, I liked you from the start. Um, then we had an email about the promo as well, which did you want to um, – I'll read it to you and you can tell me what you think if you like. Sure. So this is an actual email from Katia Flores. Said, hi, guys, new to this email thing. Uh, well, thank you for actually making the effort to write in an email. It's very nice. Uh, in season two, Derek trained his puppies, Isaac, Erica, and Boyd, at an abandoned train station. Do you think that the Wild Hunt has been to Beacon Hills before? Because Peter said in the new promo that Be- Beacon Hills has no station. Uh, thank you for the podcast. I find myself talking and theorizing with you guys while listening to the podcast. Sometimes my mom walks in and asks if I'm on the phone, uh, which is really funny because I was going to check something in one of our podcasts at, when I was at work the other day, it's very, very quiet at my, my work. And I was going to just look through, but then I realized, and I was kind of, I wasn't going to put headphones in because I play other things out loud, but then I'm like, what if people walk over and they just hear my own voice coming out of the computer? <laughs> like, are they going to think that that's really crazy? Uh, so I did not do that. But uh, anyway, um, thank you for writing in. But Karen, did you see the, the promo? I saw part of it. It got a little bit cut off, unfortunately. So I don't, quite remembered that i'm obviously sure that it's in there i think that's very interesting i don't really understand like they can only erase memories they can't rebuild a whole town maybe they can i don't know maybe they erase the memory of the train station but maybe he meant an active train station because clearly that was abandoned so i'm gonna go with that answer okay so in 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 the episode next week we should see – I mean, was this a trailer for the whole season or is this just specifically for next season? For next week. Next next week, yeah. So Styles and Peter will will see be there in their um, bunker – not their bunker, their, their mystical world? Yes. Okay. Oh, Peter and Styles. One of the best dynamics on the show, for sure. <laughs> I loved him being like, it had to be you, both in a way that signified extreme hatred and also utter adoration. Of course, we know Peter totally is obsessed with Styles. <laughs> uh, and But Peter makes it sound like he has had experience with this before. Or maybe he's just been in there so long, you know? That like was that. my that was the conclusion I drew was that he's been yeah. in there and he kind of understands the dynamic now. He knows how mm. to survive it. So mm. uh, I, I am also, stoked for that. Like yeah. if the whole, yeah, I, I, I cannot wait to see them together again because and it's I love them that uh that Styles is back just for the sake of the show and everything. Like I'm glad. Yeah. And of course like seeing Peter again is awesome, but um, we were worried about how much we would be seeing Styles, and it's nice that um, it's been a couple without him, but to have him back to see the other side of it is hopefully going to give us some answers. And I wanted to say that next week's episode is called Radio Silence, and the synopsis reads, Trapped inside the wild hunt, Styles reunites with an unexpected ally, while Scott, Lydia, and Malia discover Styles' Jeep may be connected to his disappearance. Some big answers there, then, it sounds like. 
maybe the name is coming. But yeah, Peter is, is he an unexpected ally at this point? We know he's obsessed with these people. <laughs> like, uh, you know. Because we haven't seen him in so long, maybe. I suppose, I suppose. <laughs> and I, uh, I know Sweet Vicious goes on Christmas break for three weeks. After next week. Yes, so probably same thing with Teen Wolf. I'm thinking we'll get like a three week break and then we'll come back. Interesting. Okay, but but so next week will be the last. Oh, I'm gonna be in a plane, Karen. I really, I really want to watch this episode. <laughs> I'm gonna like and record, but I'm I'm gonna be like yeah. So traveling on the the Tuesday. So we'll see how we go. Uh, but yeah, it sounds sounds fun. Did you have any more feedback? Another one about Claudia. This is Fried Wizard Whispers. This says, I've got a theory about Claudia. I think she's not Claudia at all, but a creature linked to the hunt. I mean, it doesn't make sense she would appear after Styles has been erased because him as a person had been erased, not the things he directly caused directly or indirectly. I mean, Scott wouldn't even be a werewolf in that case. Mm -hmm. What do you think? I love your podcast. P.S. Do we have a ship name for Melissa and Chris? I don't know about the rest of the internet but I'm calling it Macrissa, so you can all <laughs> screw yourselves. Um, sorry, sorry. Uh, I, I agree. I, I feel like everyone's feeling this about Claudia, that she's a she's a plant, like, you know, like that yeah. she's, you know. So I'll be really interested to see if that is actually what's going on or not. Yeah. But, yeah, how do you feel about my ship name, Karen? Oh, you I hate, hate it. it. I hate it. <laughs> I think it's awful. But it makes you happy, and therefore I will endure. Wow. Thanks, Macrissa. Um, let's call the episode Macrissa, Karen. I was Karen. just thinking that. It's like, God, uh, I have to do that now, don't I? All right. I'll send you the correct spelling. Um, <laughs> okay. Anyway. Uh, yeah, so we have that. We have uh, – yeah, that's a – that's about it for for now, I think. So, um, yeah, <laughs> I will say as well from um, JD Boy Two Thousand as well. He sent quite a few tweets during the episode, but he just said if Claudia had tried to yell at me for peeling wallpaper, I would have told her it's just wallpaper and I'll fix it after. <laughs> um, which, yeah, I mean, Lydia did seem quite intimidated, which is fair enough. But uh, but yeah, it was a real overdramatic reaction so especially as they knew that she was there to poke around and do weird things but I love how crazy Lydia looks objectively that like I know that like she when we like see her from the outside it always does look like she's like the town crazy girl yeah. which is kind of sad but also kind of really well done like mm -hmm. when Natalie sat down it was like is it true that you were peeling off Claudia Stilinski's wallpaper and she's just like yeah <laughs> like it's I, I kind of love that like we, we don't really see her from the outside that much and I love that so yeah. yeah and I love that like Lydia doesn't care anymore like season one Lydia would do everything in her power to be completely normal to not yeah. show that she's possibly, you know, the town crazy person. This Lydia doesn't care. She just wants to get to the bottom of the mystery, which is mm. pretty cool and, and says a lot about her confidence in herself. But also, I know we've been yelling about Shelley, you know, the last couple of episodes because she's brilliant, but I think Holland has really been stepping it up as well. And we know, mm. like Jeff said at New York Comic Con, that she's going to be doing some of her best work this season mm. and I can already see the beginnings of that. I think she is doing a wonderful job of, you know, dealing with this 
craziness that Lydia is dealing with and, and kind of showing all of her emotions on her face and, and all of that. So very excited to see yeah. her do more. Yeah. Cool. All right. Well, we should probably wrap up this episode and we will try not to be radio silent for radio silence and uh, get the episode to you soon after that airs. So yeah. Till next time. Bye. All right. Thank you. Bye bye. Hey, this is Jeff Davis. You're listening to Not Another Teen Wolf podcast, my favorite podcast in the world. Recite a rap quickly. <laughs> no. <laughs> I'm serious. You don't have to sing it. You just have to say it. Uh, I can't think of one. <sighs> Karen, no good. <sighs> I can actually do the Angelica raps from Satisfied really fast out loud, but not when, not when anyone's listening. <laughs> <laughs> That's cool.